morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Marty Plum and I am your host of a pen and a napkin podcast, the weekly coaching clinic that you can carry around with you in your pocket. Welcome to Quick Hitters, Volume 5. And we have a variety of different coaches that we're going to have on this week's Quick Hitter podcast. And for the first time, I'm bringing in a guy that is not a basketball coach or anything associated with basketball. I got a football guy, and not only is he a football guy, but he is from the great state of California, the 31st state in the Union, and the reason for the compromise of 1850, Chris Four from Palmdale, the Palmdale Aerospace Academy in California, just a, a, an hour and a half or so east of Los Angeles. Uh, Chris, how you doing tonight? I'm doing real well. Thanks for calling. We're looking forward to spending some time with you coaches. Terrific, terrific. Uh, really excited to have you on. Uh, just as, as a background, uh, how I found Chris, I, I somehow or another saw him on Twitter, started following him, and, and I really liked a lot of the stuff that, that he put on, or that he does put on his Twitter handle. Other than the, the San Diego Padres stuff, Chris, I'm going to be honest with you on that. I'm still, <laughs> I'm still reeling a bit from Steve Garvey in Game 4 of 84. And, oh, yeah. And uh, Leon Durham letting it go through the wickets in Game 5. But, you know, 36, 37 years later, I, I should be past it. But that, that was a tough pill to swallow as an 11-year-old here. Uh, I'm sure it was, boy. Garvey, uh, that's that one of the biggest home runs. I just tweeted about that the other night. One of the, the most important home runs in the history of uh, of San Diego, no doubt. Uh, yeah. I didn't like Steve Garvey before it. Even as an 11-year-old, I didn't like Steve Garvey. But, hey, let bygones be bygones. I don't want that to spoil our conversation here. Uh, you guys got a heck of a team going uh, the last year or two, really invest. You got you Darvish from my beloved Chicago Cubs this year, and uh, uh, but the Cubs did sweep you a week or two ago. So uh, yeah, it hadn't looked pretty lately. Yeah, well, it's a long season though. That's the good thing about baseball. Everybody's gonna have a lull. So, um, but let's get into coaching, um, and, and and let's talk about uh, like I told you before we started recording. I, I wanted to talk about coaching and, and and coaches' rights with you. And, and I know that, that California is not going to be the same as the other 49 states, uh, but there's going to be a lot of commonality with it. You are the president of the California Coaches Association. How did you come about that position, Chris? Uh, I was the last guy in the room who hadn't done it. <laughs> be honest with you, I'm on a straight shooter. That's just, that's honestly, I'll tell you a funny story there uh, briefly. I... I was going in, I was a volunteer with our board, so I was on the board for, I think, three years, um, and I was going in to resign from my board position uh, <laughs> because I had received a, moved into the dark side in administrative role as an assistant principal and no longer coaching, and I said to myself, you know, I, I got to find time to, to do everything I need to do at now as an administrator, and literally walking into the meeting with my friend who was the, the president he said hey, i'm gonna shock everybody right now with uh, i'm gonna drop a bomb on y'all i'm moving out of state and he said you would you like to be the next president and i said i was gonna drop a bomb on you i'm resigning from the board because i'm no longer coaching and uh it was real funny and mm -hmm. then yeah i walked out of that meeting as the uh, president so i've done that the last three years very good um so 
one of the big things I want to talk about with you is is sometimes we as coaches, in my case, uh, as a basketball coach, and, and most of the people that are going to be listening to this are, are going to be basketball coaches, but you're a football, a former football coach, uh, coaching in general at the high school level. Uh, it, it just seems like it gets harder and harder every single year for a variety of different reasons. Uh, you know, in your experiences, you've been on both sides of it. You were a longtime coach, and, and now you're in administration. As a coach, what? Uh, let's start here. What are the important things that you think a coach should be looking for in their athletic director where if where you know that you're working for a good AD and, and somebody that's got your back and, and you're always going to find something to complain about with your boss because that's the nature of the 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 employee employer relationship but what are the what are the, what are the big things that that coaches should be looking for to say you know that's that's the type of person I want to work for so i'd say first of all you know do do those administrators uh do those administrators understand the job period, you know, like, and I think part of, do they understand the job? I, I I consult coaches nationwide, high school and college level on their job search process. And, um, through, through my company, eight laces consulting. And, and it's amazing how many guys, I don't know, you know, in the basketball world you're speaking of, but you know, across the nation, but certainly here in California, it's amazing how many districts just don't even interview right. And to me, that's always a red flag. For instance, I heard from a coach today. I got a, a Twitter uh, DM about a coach who said, actually, he, was a, he went for a head boys varsity basketball coach job out here. Okay. It was a 20-minute interview, six questions. And he said, coach, I felt like you know their mind was made up before the interview started. And I said, well, one of two things, in my opinion, either they have no idea what they're looking for or, yes, they're saving time and the decision was already made. But he said there wasn't one question about coaching. It was more a generic coming on as a teacher, as an educator almost. And I think a lot of people are surprised these days when they go into an interview and there are no questions about even being a coach mm-hmm. or no you know, districts will use a cut-and-paste um, coaching uh, interview questionnaire that might hit on some coaching, but nothing specific about uh, that sport, basketball in your case. Mm-hmm. I interviewed a basketball coach uh, back in the fall at my new job here, and the very first thing I did is I put that that man on a on our whiteboard, and I learned that trick about 10 years ago as an athletic director. I gave him five scenarios, and I wanted to see, first of all, you know, if he makes it to an interview room, he probably has a good grasp of X and O's. But but can he teach those on the fly, just like you would in a game, heat of the moment, four people in an interview room staring at you, let's go. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and about 10 years ago, I, I did that with a coach who was very well, very highly recommended to us, a basketball coach. I said, all right, you're taking it out under your basket. There's three seconds left. you got to hit a three-pointer to win this game. Um, you got one timeout left drop the play let's go what are you going to do and and that's the very first question interview and he looked at me and <laughs> just absolutely froze <laughs> what that did was it told him you got a principal a superintendent and an athletic director sitting here staring at you we care deeply about sports we care deeply about sports being successful here 
we want to see if you can coach this game. And uh, he, he did not, that, that young man did not make it through our process. And part of the reason was he was awful on the whiteboard. So mm-hmm. off on a little tangent there, but, but um, you know, working for a good administrator, one way is you evaluate them in the interview process, you know, uh, because boy, I'm, I'm telling you, they're, if they don't interview you well, they're probably not a very good administrator to work for. I wrote um, I, I wrote an article. If, if your listeners Google coach4.org, C-O-A-C-H-F-O-R-E.org, coach4.org, more administrators need to be like Amazon. And I wrote this uh, I wrote this article about why you know ways that administrators are good and you know it amazon they admit when they're wrong if they screw something they admit it you know they they try very hard to be authentic so those are some of the things i write about but that was a fun little article to write and um i i think those are some things we want to look for in administration that that, you know that's that's such good information um in in that sense i mean i i love and I actually did that with a couple of assistant coaching interviews where, you know, one or I didn't throw at it about the first question, but I think I waited to like the third question. All right, draw me up something here. We're down three with 10 seconds left. We need to, you know, what are you going to do? And, um, you know, that's that's a great um, it's a great way to kind of weed through, you know, who's going to really handle this job the way that you want them to. And and so I, I, I like that. Uh, I agree with you about the the interview part as well. You know, reversing yeah. the roles and being interviewed. You know, if you don't feel comfortable leaving the interview, that's probably not going to change, is it, Chris? No, oh no, probably not. Yeah, that that that's a great question. And no, you're absolutely right. Usually, that doesn't change at all. That mm-hmm. doesn't change at all. Yeah. If if we get into a, a a situation, if when we get into a position, you know, the, the a lot of people talk about the toughest things that for coaches to deal with are parents, and 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 to a, to a large degree that that is very true. Uh, but sometimes you get in a tough situation with administrators and and sure. um, unrealistic expectations, or they're listening to too much and they're not really. Uh, searching for the real truth, and you know what the real truth is, so forth and so on. So let's let's start with parents. That's that's the the top top one here. What are things from your experiences and the people that you've advised? What are some things that coaches can do to do their best to avoid parental issues and, and head them off at the pass before they they become bigger situations? Yeah, great, great, great question. Number one, and I advise. In fact, I just we just had an athletic a meeting with my athletic director today, and that's one thing that I'm entering my second year as a principal. And you know, last year was odd with COVID, very odd, sure. different year, hard on we everybody. Yeah, absolutely, and we yeah. weren't able to have our our regular parent meetings. And so I told him I want to make sure we have parent meetings. I expect every one of my head coaches to have a preseason parent meeting. The the head coach, his assistants, her assistants, the kids, and the parents all in the room. And you lay out all those expectations, you know, and um, are, how how to talk to me about playing time. Are you going to talk to parents about playing time? If you are, is Johnny there or not? You know, so how how you communicate with parents right up front before the season starts 
is is so so important in my opinion so i think that's the first thing is just laying out those expectations um you know don't schedule uh orthodontist appointments during basketball season you know (laughs) and (laughs) i just had to tell my wife that last night because my son's entering high school for the you know for the first time and it's like you got to be cognizant of that you're going to take off as basketball coach Mm -hmm. and uh you know a lot of parents might not even think about that so being very proactive in your communication your expectations of parents not expectations of kids also the expectations of parents is what you got to lay out and then i think you you know too many coaches are too prideful and then that's what gets them in trouble when a parent does want to approach you most of the time listen most of the time parents are going to respect their coach their kids coach they just don't know how to show that and they just want to be heard where i've seen coaches and myself as a younger coach i would just shut parents down you know this idiot this guy doesn't know what he's talking about I wouldn't give them the time of day. I mean, that's I was very arrogant as a 27, 28, 29-year-old head coach. Mm-hmm. And that's that's then when you shut a parent down, when you don't hear them, when they don't felt feel heard, they will then go to your supervisor and that's what that's what creates conflict. And that's the same way for me as a principal. If if I have a parent who's upset with a teacher, or they call me, if I don't listen and hear their concerns about their baby boy, their precious princess, they're going to go to my supervisor. So I think those are the top two things I would advise coaches on. Be very proactive about your expectation of parents and communicate that really well. And then two, listen. Just listen. I mean, I, I'm, I'm sitting here in my office, and when I look across my desk, I got a big old picture of a, a pier at the Pacific Ocean. And the reason I have that there is so when parents who come in my office or teachers or kids or whoever is in here yelling at me, that's my peace of mind. I look back at that pier, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm listening to you. I'm actively listening, but I, you know, it's, it's hard to listen sometimes when people are ticked off at you, but most I've just found in my career, like the last 10 or 15 years that I've matured, most of the time they just want to be heard. They don't even want you to fix their problem. They want to know they're being heard again about their princess, about their king, you know, their child who's so important. And then if you if you hear them, authentically listen to them, and then make a decision, that decision, you just got to let them know, hey, I hear you. Don't defend your actions. That's what happens is we just, our pride gets in. We want to defend, defend, defend our actions, mm-hmm. and we're not listening. Yeah. And so once you can really listen to that parent, give them your ear, let them know you're authentically involved in the listening process with them, and then go from there and make a decision. And, you know, sometimes parents are right. Um, and then, you know, swallow your pride, admit it, and, and move on, you know. Mm-hmm. Is there, um, in in that parent meeting, in that parent discussion where, where, you, where you decide, uh, what, are, what are some good strategies that, that you've come across, either yourself or from other people, that, that helps diffuse that from a possibly... Uh, a possible uh, God, what's the word I'm trying to think of here? It, it, things could could escalate. You don't want things to escalate. You want to de-escalate. So, what are some good strategies to take a, an emotional situation and de-escalate it to where it's just a good conversation and you just kind of work your way through it? What are like? Is there is there like like is there a, a good place that you've seen? Uh, to meet is there a good time uh and i and i know not yeah. everything's going to be the same but just yeah, strategies I, that I, you could carry into it 
Yeah, no, that's that's good. Strategies, I would say, you know, one of my policies as a head coach, I'm never going to talk to you about playing time or anything on my way off the field, you know. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't, I need to be able to clear my head after practice, after a game. And I just laid that out, you know, to all the parents. Like, don't talk to coaches after the game about a problem. Come tell us how great we just coached. Come congratulate us. Come shake our hands and thank us. Give us all, and I kind of joked, you know, hey, after practices and games, you know, buy us a, a slushy and, uh, you know, give us a water and thank us. I kind of said, you know, my coaching staff, don't talk to anybody, any of us after the games or practice. You know, set up a time to do that. I think that's key. I think sometimes I've seen some coaches where they're not – they get – defensive immediately and they'll say oh, i'm not going to talk to you unless we're in my you know my with my athletic director or office or something like that um that's not a good way to do things in my opinion you know it's just unless it gets contentious after that first meeting so yeah. you know meet, meet meet them in your office or your classroom if you're a teacher you know um i i don't think assistant coaches should ever be in that position i think it's always should be the head coach you know yeah. if a parent has a problem with an assistant then you want to make sure your head coach is there um but i you know those are i think two strategies is you know meet meet them don't meet them and have that conversation right after a game or practice because that usually doesn't go real well. What do you think about? Let's say they're they're discussing uh, the the treatment of you know Judy or Bobby, and you're you know that that's not true that that things are being greatly exaggerated from practice to the dinner table. And what do you think about the strategy of having the the student athlete sitting in the meeting? If that's something that that they want to address or talk about, where you where you know this this kid is is twisting a lot of different things here. Yeah, no, I think that's a great idea. I, in fact, as a policy, when I was a head coach, I would not I would not meet with parents unless Johnny was there mm-hmm. because I'm just I'm a firm believer things do get twisted, and so. That was my policy. And I only had a couple times where parents would say, no, he needs to be there. And I just say, you know what? It's my policy for that not to happen. Well, I don't think that's a good policy. Uh, you're entitled to your opinion, you know, and that was just that. That's how I did things, because I, I'm not going to talk about Johnny unless Johnny's there, you yeah. know. So and, uh, you know, yeah, so that was my policy. I, I really I've always advised my coaches to follow that, you know, as an athletic director, then as an administrator. I, I, I advise my coaches to do the same thing. I mean, unless you felt really good about it. But but, you know, once you make some exceptions, it's hard to pull those back. But I, I think that it's a really good policy just to have in place so that everybody is on the same page because. Inevitably, like you said, you know, you 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 have that meeting, you waste an hour of your time and and everything's twisted. Oh, coach never told me that coach never told me this. You know, I I did my first year as a head coach. I had a dad come in and talk to me about playing time. He kind of popped in, surprised me. So I talked to him for 15 minutes and then I invited him to practice. He insisted his son was better than a starting quarterback. And I said, sir, um, with all due respect, your son has no idea what he's doing as our quarterback in this offense that's brand new to him. Come on down to practice. I'll show you five plays, and I can guarantee we, – we ran the wing tee. Uh-huh. I said, I can 
guarantee you he pulls out from center the wrong way three of those five times. There's no way that'll happen. I said, sir, come on down. I invite you to come down to practice. You'll stand with me. I'll tell you to play which way he should go. And sure enough, uh, play one and two, he went the wrong way. Play three, he went the right way. Four, four he went the wrong way. And I, I was right. Three out of five times, he pulled out from center the wrong way reverse pivot the wrong way and and uh the dad shook my hand i'll never forget he turned to me shook my hand coach ford thank you very much i'll talk to my son (laughs) and uh three weeks later he transferred he left (laughs) well you didn't even need the fifth rep you didn't even need the three fifth rep you just three out of four you i teach (laughs) history and i can do that math that's a higher percentage than what you predicted yeah, that's you're absolutely right. Absolutely right. So I did that twice as a head coach. Another dad who um, he myself, the linebacker coach, he and his son, all four of us sat down and, you know, dad just thought we were absolute idiots. And it was the same type of thing, you know, and both of these kids ended up just having a little bit. It wasn't their fault necessarily. They each one of these kids ended up being identified with a learning a learning problem, you uh-huh. know, okay. and um you know, both of them just got got things mixed up in their brains of which way to turn, which way to go, and they were both freshmen. And and uh, you know, we but we did the same thing with the dad. We we brought him out there as a linebacker and said, "All right, this drill, you know, this it was uh, during seven on seven. This is where he's supposed to drop. This number two is who he's supposed to pick up." And it was you know three or four times out of six or seven that the kid did the wrong thing. So. In both those instances, you know, I, I don't know if that would work in, in the majority of your listeners basketball-wise here, football, you know, a lot different. Very yeah. easy to say, okay, here's this kid's assignment. But, uh, you know, I, that's another thing I've advised coaches to do over the years too. Uh, it's it's a little risky in some ways, you know, but uh, it paid off for me real, real well doing that. I had a dad one time who was complaining about his daughter's playing time and about, you know, about the the second time he asked, I just I looked at him and and here's what I I said okay, if if Susie's gonna play, who she, who's she gonna play ahead of? Who is she better than? Oh yeah, that's a good one. You know whose minutes should she take, or you know whose minutes should she take away? Yeah, and and he yeah. didn't have right. he didn't have much of a response. I said, yeah. ah, you know because yeah you know she's not a terrible player, but you know what I've got you know, X amount of other kids in front of her at her position. And that's just, that's just the way it is at this particular time. And, and that was, that was maybe one of the few times I got a little, you know, I don't want to say snarky, but I was just like, okay, who, who, who are you going to play her ahead of? Cause no, you, know, I like that. you know, so let's, let's, uh, same question. Uh, you know, you get in a situation, uh, but with administration, you get an administrator, who uh, is is just difficult for you to deal with as a coach? And, and let's just go direct administrator uh, and an an AD. And and how do you handle those situations? Uh, somebody that's maybe you know consistently chirping in your ear or doing this or doing that, whatever it may be. How do you, how do you handle that? I think once you once you notice that issue, start documenting it. You know, and what I mean by that is just. I got a file in my drawer here, you know, and I've got, I've got it a, 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 a labeled something. Maybe you wouldn't be able to know exactly what it is, but <laughs> I got a file in my drawer, you know, where I've got kind of a, 
running tabs, so to speak, of, you know, some, some different issues I have with some different employees where, you know, it, it's like, it's, we don't need to write up, but I've, I've noticed you're not where you're supposed to be. You know, mm-hmm. I went to your classroom and, um, and then I, I chatted you, Hey, where are you at? Need to meet, need to ask something. You're out getting coffee. Well, there's, you know, that's, that's going in my file, little, little ding there, you know? So yeah. when I need to come back to it. So that's what I mean is kind of start a file there of some of the things that that administrator is doing that is, is maybe uncalled for, or maybe a way that they're, you know, they're micromanaging you. Maybe it's on, I've done it before, like on an index card, you know, in my drawer or something like that to where you can then approach them and go, Hey, because sometimes administrators, we, we get so busy, we might not even know there's an issue. We're, we're touching so yep. many different parts of the campus. Absolutely. Where, yeah, where, and, and I obviously I never knew this till I was an administrator, but it might be a really big deal to you as a coach or you as a teacher. For us, it's one little thing during the day, you know, but then the next day we have another conversation and it's another really big thing to you. So it might be confronting that person. Hey, did you know that, you know, on this time, this time, remember that barbecue we were having with the team and you came and said this to me, man, this was five times in the last, you know, two months you, you said or done this, this, or this, that I really feel like you don't trust me or whatever the situation is, you know, you offended me or however that is, you know, be direct, be direct with them. That's kind of my personality anyway, but that would be my advice to a coach, you know, asking that question is, you know, keep a, keep some little log of what's going on and that, that you can approach that person with and, and ask them, you know, why they're doing that, point it out to them. Uh, and you always got to be a little careful doing that, but yeah. you know, I've had those conversations with supervisors in the past where, you know, dude, you, you hired me to do my job. Let let me do my job. You know, let me go do it. Um, or hey, you met with this parent. You know, they they jumped over my head and came to you. It's our policy not to allow that to happen. Uh, can you make sure next time you you send them back to me? Oh, you know what, Chris, you're right. Man, busy day. You walked by, saw that parent in here, dude. That parent didn't have a. They just walked into the office. They did not have an appointment. I would refer them back. You know, so then that kind of cleans up that communication. Mm-hmm. So what, what happens is if we don't if we don't address these things, then they, they become like a burr in our saddle. You know, we get frustrated with our supervisor um, and then something explodes when it doesn't really need to. So that that would be my advice. You know, address it. Address it when when you think it's an issue. It's big enough to address address it with that person's best interest in mind because uh, you want to try to repair that you know relationship to move forward for success for everybody but if, if you don't address those things you know then then they, they start really ticking you off wearing you down yeah and then I say you know the next step is okay you have that meeting it doesn't solve it then you want to get you know somebody else involved in the, in the process and then maybe you know formally put it in an email you know hey we, we met last time we talked about this this and this uh, you said you know you'd work on it or you denied these things and, and here it just happened again you know yeah. and then that, that second time you have to bring it up make sure you bring it up quickly don't don't let that you know burrow and burrow again yeah should coaches be judged on winning and losing? At the high school level, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. When I was uh, an athletic director, our 
I was an athletic director first at a Christian school and our, we had a two pronged mission statement. And that was, uh, we want to build, build Christian men and women and win championships. And that was called the Eagle way. You know, we had that in our gym. We had that on our letterhead, build Christians and win championships. And like I always told my coaches, if you don't win a championship, you're not losing your job. But I am going to evaluate you on are, are you running a program that is indicative of winning championships? Are you progressing towards that? Because you might coach your tail off for 30 years in a row and never win a championship because the other team in your league had that much better of a team. You know, Um, and but but I want to know you're doing everything possible. You know, you're you've got organized practices. You are you know the game technically and tactically and you can coach those things and you hire a good staff and you put together a good practice plan and a good practice schedule. You put together a good game schedule so you're not going out and just whooping everybody you should whoop and getting whooped by everybody who should whoop you, you know, um, are we, are we competitive? That's what I talked about. Is, is this a competitive program? There are programs that can go five and five and that'd be a tremendous season for a coach. Mm-hmm. And there are programs that can go five and five. And that was an awful season for a coach, Absolutely. you know, any coach worth their salt understands that. So it's not, it's not the winning per se to answer your question, but I, I think that we do need to judge the effectiveness of our coaches. Look, the way we judge a game and the way we judge a season is scoreboard. And so I do think that winning uh, goes into it. But again, it's it's not the final score on the board. But, you know, how how did we get there? Mm-hmm. And, and I really also think coaches need a good three years to run their program. I've seen, you know, coaches run out after a year or two. I don't think that's fair at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, is that coach who's in, in basketball, that coach who goes two and 18, you know, should that team have been two and 18 or should they've been 10 and 10 or should they've been 18 and two, you know? Yeah. So, and, and the reason I think that's important is we want to give our kids the best. We, we want our, we don't want our kids to be shortchanged because our coach isn't giving his all, isn't practicing well, isn't designing his season well, you mm-hmm. know? So, um, you, you and I have both seen coaches who underachieved and stuck around the place for a long time because that place just didn't value winning, you yeah. know? And then we've also seen those schools that value winning so much, they're kicking out the good coaches that are trying, like, like I said, our two pronged approach, building Christian men and women, you know, uh, you can come in and do a fine job of that and lose every game. Well, we also want you building champions here, you know? Mm-hmm. So, but if you come in and just build champions and don't don't build good citizens, then we're not gonna we're not gonna want you here either. So I, I think it's a balanced approach you got to have. But I absolutely think the scoreboard and, and winning and losing should be judged. Last thing here, Chris. This is something that has been on my mind the last I don't know five to ten years ish, probably. And I've kind of floated the idea around to to my coaching circle of friends. <clears throat> Why with, uh, or, or let me let me rephrase that. What do you think about coaches getting more than a, a one year contract, uh, or having the the ability? Now it's up to the district that the district can say, "Hey, we're going to hire you for the you know this one year." Uh, 
but you never see it. it's it's always one year at a time. It's pretty much a universal thing in education. Uh, yeah. But but I I think that that in some ways with with the the demands on high school coaches the way that they have been and you get a change in administration or you get this or that type of thing. Now, I'm not saying if, if a coach does something that is completely unacceptable, obviously they need to be, you know, taken care of. But uh, I, I think that sometimes that you get into, let's say you're at a program and the expectations are here. You fail to meet them one year and everybody's like, oh my God, it's, it's the coach's fault. And oh, you know, it's like, ah, no, we just had a down year, but you know, but sometimes you have not as strong leadership that give into that too easily. And, and I just, you know, that's just something that I've thought about is, Hey, I think most coaches understand that we're getting into this very, very competitive arena and we're very, very competitive people. But if you're going to ask all of this of us, uh, what are some ways that we can be protected a little bit more and and feel like not everything is riding or dying from one year to the next, and it's just a one year thing? Does does my does my line of questioning make sense? Yeah, no, it does. You know, there's a school district out here in Southern California where they actually make you reapply every single year for your job, and it's just you know every year when I see these jobs posted. I kind of go, what the heck? Oh, oh yeah, that's right. He's got to apply every single year. And it's just silly. I mean, it's such a waste of time. But I, I definitely think, you know, I mean, out here, a lot of it's it's, it's called a, sti- a stipend agreement, you know, because yeah. we're paying you $4,000, $5,000 for a year to do that stipend agreement. And I definitely think there should be a time when, you know, we, we, reach, we reach a place, you know, a system where, like, Hey, the first three years, maybe it's a one year deal. And then after that, we progress that to two or three years. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I, I definitely think that'd be a good thing, a good peace of mind for coaches, like you're saying, because um, it, it's not fair. You know, it's not fair to coaches who always have to think about that. Am I, well, am I being hired? Am I being retained or what have you? You know? Well, and, and I also think of it from this sense. Uh, let's say you're a teacher and, and you're making 50,000 a year and you're, you're, you're the head coach of the baseball team. And let's say you're getting a $6,000 stipend and you've got three young kids. And for whatever reason, the administration says, you're not coaching anymore. We're not going to have you coach baseball. Well, that, that coach losing that $6,000 stipend is a pretty big chunk of money for a high school teacher and a coach. Now, if you're Nick Saban, you're going to be okay. You know, uh, or or anybody of of, of that ilk, uh, but but the percentage when one of the things that that I don't think a lot of parents understand is when it when a coach is removed for, I guess we'll call it the gray area reasons, um, that parent or those parents that are complaining or that administrator that's making that decision, that can be a life altering situation and. And that can that can throw a real monkey wrench into uh, a profession where people are definitely not doing it for the money, and and to have that protection uh, just in that regard, you know, that that's kind of my thought process when it comes to that. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's just not that's not fair. Not fair at all. No, no doubt about it. I, I absolutely agree. I wish that education did things different. You know, there, there's so many things stacked against coaches. You know, as it is, that it, it would be nice to throw them a bone, you know, a little bit of a bone there. No, mm-hmm. no doubt about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
that was, that was something, you know, as, with your role in the coaches association, I don't, I didn't know how feasible that would be, uh, whether it's California or anywhere else. Yeah, no, I mean, out here it, it'd be feasible. It just, it's just coaches or administrators thinking outside the box, you know, mm-hmm. thinking about it differently. It's like the school I've started at, they, they do, uh, an observation every single year of their teachers and where I came from as a teacher, you know, my, my union, it was different. You, you got to observe your first two years. And then after that, you know, you got a little bit of a break because, because they trusted you. So, yeah. um, you know, it's, it's not too hard to think about a, a system of, uh, uh, stipends that would be based off of the same, you know, same philosophy. It's just a matter of people thinking that way. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Chris four from uh, uh, California here, the president of the California Coaches Association. Chris, I know you're a football guy, but but thanks for coming on a basketball podcast and, and talking coaching with me tonight and, and, and the protection of coaches and what coaches need to do to protect themselves. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I love helping coaches, love doing uh, you know anything coach-related. It's a real passion of mine, and we got to do a great job of uh, protecting our coaches and developing and mentoring them as uh, they're the ones doing the real work in, in mentoring our, our next generation. Yep. All right. Uh, folks, look up uh, Chris's uh, – what's your what's your Twitter handle again, Chris? It's uh, at Chris, C-H-R-I-S-C-F-O-R-E, Chris C4. Gotcha. Gotcha. And just ignore all that San Diego Padres stuff that he might put on there. That's, 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 <laughs> there we that's go. my only ask. So, Chris, thanks so much for your time tonight. I appreciate it. All right. Thank you. Good yeah. luck with your podcast. Thank you. Coaches, there are numerous resources in the coaching universe to help make coaches better. Podcasts, websites, videos, and everything in between. But if you're a coach looking for a resource that addresses the skills necessary to be successful both on and off the floor, look no further than a pen and a napkin university. Pen and a Napkin University is a series of courses designed to help any coach at any level to hone their craft in the offseason. Pen and a Napkin University features four separate courses, starting the first week of July to help develop your coaching skills. The four courses are Personal Growth and Development, Building Your X's and O's Philosophy, Building Your Program, and Fundamentals and Drill Work. Each course is seven weeks long, with a new topic each week to dive into. The best thing about a Pen and a Napkin University is its flexibility. You can sign up for a weekly topic an entire course, or the entire program. It's whatever fits your schedule and your budget. For more information, send us an email at apenandanapkin at gmail.com or go to apenandanapkin.com. Our next guest, I'm really happy to to have this gentleman on our uh, quick hitter uh, today, uh, volume number five, Jeff Morris, the retired... And I'm envious of that R word, retired, Jeff, especially after the day I've had today, you know, eight or nine <laughs> straight hours of, of yep. being in the gym. But uh, no, wouldn't wouldn't trade it for the world. Uh, Jeff Morris, uh, the retired girls coach, most notably at Twin River here in Nebraska. Uh, coach, how are you doing this afternoon? Oh, doing really good, really good. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate this. Oh, no problem. You know, I I, I like bringing in a lot of different perspectives, and it's and uh, like we talked about before we started recording, uh, I've only maybe had I think one other coach that is that is 
you know, retired. I'm using air quotes here. Uh, and so it's it's good to to have that perspective of of somebody who's kind of seen it all, done it all, uh, doesn't have any skin in the game, and and you can talk probably a little bit more freely than than some of uh, of the other guests, most of the other guests, because you know we're we're still getting that monstrous five or six thousand dollar stipend that we depend upon. <laughs> uh, so uh, I, I just you know it's just interested to hear your perspective on some things. Yeah, it's. It, you know, it, the, the best thing about coaching is having done it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I just, I absolutely enjoyed it. Yep. Well, let, let's start there. Uh, you know, looking back on your on your career, uh, just, you know, from, from beginning to end, you started out as a, as a junior high coach and, and then a, an assistant for a while and then, and then a head coach for uh, almost three decades. Um, you know, what just what are some things that you learned along your journey um, that, that maybe when you were... <laughs> When you were starting out, uh, you didn't think that maybe you would learn by the end of it. You were you were surprised at the at the lessons learned. You know, it, I, I think the main thing, uh, the first big lesson that I learned was, you know, even though you 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 play, and this was the first year, first game that I ever coached at junior high. I thought, oh, I've got it. They're prepared. They're ready to go and all this stuff, and, and uh, the ball goes out of bounds on the sideline. The official hands the ball to the girl. She walks in bounds with it, so turnover. <laughs> you know, so that taught me right away that, you know, I, I, I've got a lot to learn. Mm-hmm. You know, you, there's nothing too small to cover with those kids. Um, you know, everything is, is important and, and goes toward the final product. Um, but, you know, I just kind of, at that point, it, first game you know i figured why well, i've got to get better at this i've got to learn how to make sure my teams are prepared and then you know your education began the first part of it um one of the things that i was very fortunate uh it, when i left grand island central catholic which is where i coached junior high for two years we moved back to the columbus area <clears throat> and uh, i got a job on the staff under a guy that i i just believe is a is a legendary coach and that's merlin Lom. And I was his freshman coach for seven seasons. And, you know, he was one of those guys that um, he, he was disciplined. His teams were disciplined. They just did things right. And so, you know, and I was very fortunate that we practiced either early morning or after everybody was done in the evening. So it was 6 in the morning or, you know, 6.30 at night. And uh, those night practices, you know, when I was struggling to learn things, he was only a few doors from the school, and I would just go over, knock on his door, and just pick his brain, and he was always kind enough to, to let me come in. And that was huge. And, and one of the things that I would really highly recommend for young coaches, get a mentor. I, I can't stress that enough, and, and maybe not even stop with one, but get two. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people that are doing things that, that you think are philosoph- you know, philosophically aligned with what you do, and then just pick their brain. And, and you would be amazed at who would sit down with you, college coaches, high school coaches. You know, somebody help them. Mm-hmm. And the vast majority want to help other people. Mm-hmm. And so I was very lucky there. Another guy that was at SCOTUS was, was uh, John Peterson, who uh, during the time I was there, those seven years, I believe, on the girls' side, he won um, two state championships in that time. Um, you know, and so I would see John and, and talk to John, and he always had time for me. And I think coaches will find that's that's not a, a rare thing. Mm-hmm. You know, good coaches, first off, we love to talk basketball. Second thing is, you know, somebody helped us. Mm-hmm. And so you help them. So I, you know, that the, the you're never, yeah, one of the things that, that I, I think was, was common in my thinking all the way through, and I saw this in, in 
people that I thought were really good coaches is that they, they always, they were always looking for more, better information. How can I do things better? You know, so they were always reading something or they were always watching something. I tried to do that, you know, and I, I think there wasn't a day that passed and I'm still guilty of it. You know, if I see something about, uh, X's and O's or, or, uh, uh, game management or philosophy, I'll read it. Mm-hmm. it. It's kind of force of habit. But I think if if you keep learning, you know, you keep learning and you keep getting better, and, uh, you know, the game is always changing. Just in, in just a little bit, you know, maybe, you know, I when I first started out, one of the things that I learned and I always used through was we called it push and pull. You know, and it, I'm sure you're probably familiar with that, but yeah. um, it's not a whole lot different than read and react. Uh-huh. You know, it's just a slightly different. And, you know, those kinds of things. And you start learning these things and, and you start putting them in, into practice. And you find out what works and what doesn't work. And pretty soon, you know, you, you, you've reached a point where uh, you're, you're able to consistently field teams that are pretty good. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> it, it just is that simple and that hard Yeah. at yeah. the same time. Yeah. It, you you know, know, it, it, one of the things, too, that, that, that people, I, you know, the, I see a lot of young coaches come into the game today, and they seem to want to race up and down the court and chuck up threes, which that's just a different philosophy. That's fine. But, you know, when I first started out, I wanted multiple defenses. I think I played uh, some man, 2-3, 1-3-1. One, one. You know, I played all these different defenses, and I tried to push the ball up the court and all this stuff. And then I, I sat there and I realized that uh, we were giving up way too many easy shots. I, I, I didn't want to give up any uncontested shots, but here I was running three defenses. I only have so much practice time. Yep. We didn't do any of them well. Yep. And so I, I had to figure that out that, you know, I, I had to kind of limit what we do and become darn good at something. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's kind of, and it was a Pete Newell quote that the light bulb went off, you know, and, and it basically his quote was that, um, you know, basketball is a simple game. You know, the idea is to get high percentage shots and more of them than your opponent. And, you know, for a dummy like me, the, the light bulb went off. And, and so I figured out that, you know, I, I need to become very good. I chose man-to-man because I hate uncontested shots. Mm-hmm. And then instead of racing up and down the floor, you know, we ran when we had the opportunity. But I wanted to get down there and I wanted to execute at a high level so we got the high percentage shots, mm-hmm. you know. And so where I ended up with my offensive and defensive philosophy and where I started was 10 miles apart mm-hmm. and that's normal. So young coaches, you know, that don't fight that, you know, you're going to learn. It's, it's called experience. And the more you seek out knowledge, uh, you know, you're just going to find some better ways to do things. One of the things that, that uh, I think paid the biggest dividends of all for us was our off season program. And that took me a few years to figure out, mm-hmm. you know, it, we, we had those kids come in uh, for individual sessions, you got at this time now you could work with up to four at a time. I don't know if that's changed or not, but at that time you could. But I did them individually because everybody was a little bit different, mm-hmm. and so you know we'd work on fundamental skills and stuff, uh, things like that. But in the off season is where your your individual player is going to improve your team. You can get better in the summer, but generally that's going to happen all the practices during the season where your, your team's going to get better. But with that opportunity to work with those kids 
And once they start learning, they want to come in. It, it's no longer a challenge. Yeah. Um, you know, and what worked for me may not work for you. You, you find your own way. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you, you can develop players. And to me, that was the funnest of all, mm-hmm. uh, the best thing of all. They, the games were almost anticlimactic. It was getting them ready to play that game in the season. And in the off season is helping kids get better mm-hmm. <clears throat> because it's, it's just a, it's, there's nothing better in my opinion. Mm-hmm. What, you know, from, from the beginning of your career to the end of your career, uh, what are some of the biggest changes that you saw in, in the high school game? Um, <clears throat> you know, I think it was, it was pretty subtle, but the change, I think the biggest change is the way the parents react, um, you know, at games and stuff like that, the yelling. Uh, you know, I've, you know, I've just witnessed so much stuff where people are yelling at kids, at other team, you know, at coaches and, and, of course, officials and stuff like that. And uh, they'll, they'll go straight to the superintendent. When I first started, um, you know, there, you had a, almost like a shield was the AD. Mm-hmm. And the AD knew you know, if you deserve this criticism, you were going to get the criticism. But they kind of were able to shield you from the parents. Mm-hmm. And uh, anymore, you know, and I, I didn't so much see this in my own coaching, but I've sure seen it other places where really good coaches get hammered and fired, um, you know, because somebody in the community is pretty powerful. And they don't mind pretending with it you know, and making threats and things like that. And so that, to me, is a troublesome thing. Uh, it's driving a lot of really good coaches out of the business. Mm-hmm. What, I don't, uh, maybe that's too blunt, but no, that's, yeah. that's what I see. No, it, it's, it's, it's interesting that you say that, uh, because on our previous quick hitter that folks will already have heard, but we're, we're taping years after this. So, uh, But, you know, we talked, you know, it was essentially uh, a half hour about coaches' rights and 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 how coaches can protect themselves better. And, and uh, you know, that's one of the, you know, essentially a, a big topic that we talked about in that conversation. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, ex- exactly. You know, and, and the, it's little things, you know, and when, when a, it's a male coach and females, it, it kind of goes without thinking that you should never be in a situation where you're talking with them, just you and them. And, you know, that one has other implications. But even if you're coaching boys, you need a witness. Mm-hmm. And if you're talking to parents, you want to witness so that it doesn't become a he said, she said thing. Uh, you know, and it, when I first started out, that, you know, there were there were some complaints, I'm certain. Um, I didn't hear about them, mm-hmm. you know, because uh, the AD was the buffer. Mm-hmm. And now it's like it, you're, they'll, they'll storm up to you after games when nobody can stop them, yeah. you know, and, and things like that. And, um, you know, it, it's unfortunate that it's that way. But, but it is, and that's the direction it's going. So you've really got to kind of cover yourself and your bases. And, but above all, and, and what I learned to do was those kids are with me in that gym every day. They know what's going on, mm-hmm. you know, and, and the parent doesn't. They sit up in the stands, and they might think they know a lot. But so the focus was on those kids. My job was just to make them the best that they could be, help them prepare and be competitive. And that's what I tried to do. Mm-hmm. And outside of that, I, I can't control it. Yeah, control what you can control, and that ain't much in this life. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, if if my players had heard that last sentence, they'd be rolling their eyes because I I use the phrase control what you can control 
that's definitely in the top five of, of Coach Plum's phrases. So uh, yeah. that, that's well, something it's that the truth, we... Though. You know, you've you got to adjust to how the officials are calling the game. You've got to, you know, there's just a lot of things that those kids have to adjust to, and then they can't control any of it. Mm-hmm. So, and I know one thing, too, when I was a younger coach, I don't mean to sidetrack us, but it kind of goes nope. along with the same thing. We're good. One of the things that, that uh, I would do, I was pretty volatile, pretty high-strung fellow, I guess. But anyway, I would really get on the officials. And then one game, I saw my players acting like I was acting, and that was enough. Mm-hmm. That was not acceptable for them. Why in the world would it be acceptable for me? And that changed everything there. And, and I certainly found that they, they really weren't such bad guys after all. Yeah. You know, and they weren't out to get us and, you know, all this stuff. But, you know, I did not want my kids acting like that, so I did not act like that. And then I found that, you know, that officials, you know, generally treated us pretty good. Yeah. And so. I, my, uh, my dad was an official. Uh, mainly like junior high, freshman, JV. He he didn't really want to get into the varsity level type of things, and uh, you know that that's I, I've always tried to. Now again, you get into the heat of the battle, you get into the heat of the moment, and and every once in a while you get a little bit too worked up and that type of thing. But uh, especially as I've gotten older, uh, you know that that's somebody's. Uh, father that's somebody's mother that's somebody's wife or, or husband son daughter etc etc um and and they're just out there trying to do the best job that they possibly can and Absolutely. you know you, you you learn as you get older uh that the officials really don't have a whole lot to do with the outcome of the game for you know for the most part it, it's your kids and focusing on you know what they can do and and them making plays and those type of things and uh, yeah. that that's something that I've again, you know, probably in the last four or five years, I've I've really tried to adjust to, and especially since I I came back into to coaching, I've I've really tried to be cognizant of that. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, there there are guys doing a job, and and right now, uh, some of the just take the, my my experience at Twin River, some of the guys that were coaching or refereeing the the early years got out of it. You know, and, and not because of us necessarily, but just because, you know, uh, basically getting verbally abused at games. Yeah. You know, and it, it happens everywhere. It's not just one place. So it's, it's you know, and, and and almost every school now has the, the code of conduct speech that they give. You know, you know, you know, remember, you could get thrown out of the game if you do this, and I've never seen it happen. Yeah. And so Our, we were on the receiving end, you know. <clears throat> yeah. Our I'm old, sorry, go ahead. Our, our, our old athletic director, um, he had a sign up going into the gym. And, it, you know, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but essentially it said, you know, there's four roles in this gymnasium. Uh, player, spectator, coach, or official. Pick one. Uh, because you can only do exactly. one. Exactly. That's perfect. You know, I, I, I think that's that's something that we, we've tried to talk about. And, and there's only... There's only so much you can do in controlling your your, your parents or your you know if, if, or your student body if they start getting into things and that type of thing, uh, but you know I, I think the harder we try to um, the harder we work at treating officials with respect and that type of thing, uh, the better uh, our parents will react uh, or the student body will react to those scenarios where things start getting a little heated and that type of thing. And it's, it's the same thing that, uh, you know, your players, you know, I always tell my players, I told them this today, you know, I, 
you never go in to go shooting a layup and go, man, I can't wait to brick the crap out of this thing. This is going to be awesome, <laughs> you know. Um, yep. You know, and so an official never goes. You know what? I just can't wait to blow this call and and have people just lose their minds. This is going to be awesome, and and everybody's out there trying to do their best. The players are trying to do their best. Coaches are trying to do their best. The officials are trying to do their best. And and I think that's a perspective that we need to try and keep. It, absolutely. And one thing that people need to keep in mind too is the other guy wants to win too. Yes. You know, they're, oh, you're not absolutely. the only one that want to win this game. You know, there's there's other people that are talented, well coached, and, and they're going to give you everything you ever wanted. You know, and those are fun games to be part of. But uh, you know, sometimes that can be lost. Mm-hmm. You know, we want our team to win and all this. Yep. Uh, two two more quick ones here, Jeff. Uh, okay. Let's start with this one. Uh, what, if anything, if you could pick out one or two things that looking back on it, you know, I, I wish I would have done X, Y, or Z uh, a little bit differently or, or a little bit better uh, throughout the tenure of my career. I, I think probably the big thing right now in retirement, one of the things that uh, we're really, and I'm still working, I just retired as a coach, but uh-huh. one of the things that we're really um, really enjoying now is spending time with the kids and grandkids. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that was something that I, I I didn't learn any too early was how to balance. You know, you, as a coach, you need to be committed and you need to be dedicated and if working hard. And if you're not, you're probably not going to coach long. Mm-hmm. But the other part of that is you've got a family. Yeah. And I, when I was coming up and my kids were back in grade school, that was back in the VHS days. We didn't have huddle. We didn't, you know, have any of that stuff. So you either... Uh, waited for somebody to send you a VHS tape via mail, which, you know, and I'm sure you remember those fun days. Uh, unreliable but, uh, at best. Yeah. yeah. And then the other thing was you had to go out and, and uh, scout in person, which, of course, is the best way to do it. But, you know, you know now there's so many other options. Back then, you know, I, I think, you know, what I should have done was instead of doing that on Wednesday night, I should have been spending with my kids. You know, I could have got up a half hour earlier. I could have stayed up an hour later after went to bed instead of thinking I had to do it right now, right this minute. You know, so even when I was home, sometimes I wasn't home, mm-hmm. you know, and so it, my wife was kind of felt like a widow back then because there were a lot of nights where we had practice until six or whatever, and then driving somewhere for an hour to go watch a game to scout. And then by the time you get home, everybody's in bed and you really haven't seen anybody all day. Mm-hmm. And that was for three or four months of basketball. That seemed to be the way things were. So I, I wish I had balanced that a little bit better mm-hmm. during those days. You know, I can't do anything about it now, but, but it matters. You yep. know, it, it's, it, we got to keep things in perspective. So, so on the flip side of that, the greatest reward, what's, what's the thing that you're, uh, has been the, you know, what, what was the greatest pleasure of your career? Oh, boy. You know, I, I just think it was – I've had some really, really good assistant coaches. The one I've got now is uh, the one that I had when I retired. His name is Dan Kojal, and he was probably with me the longest of anyone. And he was very dedicated. He was dedicated to the kids. He was there in the off season working with the JDers, and I worked with the varsity level uh, kids and our individuals. But he really worked hard to try to learn our philosophy, but the game in general – so working with guys like that, and there were other ones too that, you know, went on to coach, become varsity coaches themselves. So working with people like that uh, was one of the highlights. And the other would probably be the relationships that you build with kids. It's a coach and player relationship. You know, they, they don't need a 50-year-old friend. You know, they, they need a coach, but it's a 
mutual respect type thing, you know, where, you know, they, they trust you. They, if you say something, then they think that's, uh, it's going to happen, uh, those types of things. And, and then you get to watch them grow up and become moms and, and whatever. And if you're coaching boys, then you get to see them become dads and become good human beings. And there is a chance that as much time as we spend with them, that maybe we, we had a part to play in that, some small one maybe. But, you know, those are the things that I think are the, are, are the highlights. You know, you win games, yeah, that's, that's all good and dandy, but there's, there's so much more in life that comes out of that because it's, it's not just about winning the games. I mean, there's, there's things that can be learned, you know, the teamwork, et cetera, et cetera. Yep. Uh, you know, but it's, it's real life, and you, you have a chance to see those kids at highs and lows, and you have a chance to impact that. You know, and to me, that there's no better, nothing better in the world than that. Did I always do great? No, heck no. <clears throat> but I, I think I did, I did okay most of the time. And and uh, just based on the relationships that I have with the kids, I, I think you know that kind of shows that. So perfect, perfect. Jeff Morris, longtime girls basketball coach, most notably at, at Genoa slash. Twin River here in Nebraska. Coach, thanks so much for your time this afternoon. A lot of great perspective uh, from, from, a, from a wise, wise man who's been through a few battles along the way. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate the work you do because, you know, as much information as, as especially young coaches can get, the better. And uh, you do a great job. So thank you very much. Oh, thank you very much, Jeff. I greatly appreciate it. You Next up on our Quick Hitter podcast is my good friend, and you're used to hearing him on Headlines podcast, but today we're going to talk about some zone defense. It is my good friend Casey Hall, the assistant girls basketball coach at Millard West High School. Casey, happy Father's Day, my man. Thank you. Same to you and everyone out there. Yeah. You know, when we would play against each other, there were two reasons why I hated playing against you. Number one, because of our friendship. And that sucked because one of us was going to walk away unhappy. And number two, I hated going against your zone. And uh, I, I think you always did a, a masterful job of having your kids get out and, and read uh, lanes and, and rotating out of it so, so well. Uh, so kind of uh, let's go to let's start here. Where did you kind of pick up the zone principles at, and why uh, why did you lean into it so heavily? So where I kind of, where I wanted to go with it, it was kind of back when I was like a high school kid, kind of going into college, and I was like, if I coach basketball, or when I coach basketball, I want to coach girls, and I would love to be able to press and drop into an aggressive 2-3 zone. I just thought, Kind of back in the late 2000s stuff, you're starting to see a ton of man-to-man and girls just shooting-wise wasn't always there. Mm-hmm. So, like, being aggressive, trying to jump passing lanes, making people beat you with a three is where I kind of came, like, I want to be, get out and do it. Mm-hmm. Play like guys a little bit um, where you're still being aggressive, but you're also throwing some kind of different loops at them. Mm-hmm. Um so that's where I kind of first really started getting it rolling. Um, and then I kind of took some Jim Boheim stuff with his zone where he's way up, um, 
above the free throw line with most everybody, um, but the middle person. And I took uh, Mike DeVillis, who runs the buzz. It's kind yep. of more of a half-court, 2-1-2 two, two look. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of took some of his principles, and I kind of meshed them together a little bit. Gotcha. So you were looking to kind of zig while everybody else was zagging a little bit at that time. Yeah. And, I mean, like I said, that was – 15, 18 years ago when I was starting to get that wheel. And so mm-hmm. it's not like it came to fruition until I finally started coaching high school basketball. Gotcha. So for the average person, it can look like just a, you know, Y League over 40, uh, 2-3 zone. But there's a lot more to it and, and what you were teaching with it. So... Uh, why don't you go into kind of the basic principles of of your version of the two three and and the coverages and and different things like that? So first off, I I put when I had my best two three zone defense um, in like 2014, um, I put my two best defenders opposite each other. So I put one at one elbow and I put the other one at the block. Um, the opposite block? Kind of where I'm countering a little bit, um, where the block, I'm pressuring it real hard with the best defender up top. And then the bottom person on the other on the opposite block would be able to read a little bit more and be able to jump passing lanes. Okay. Um, and she usually was probably my best rebounder as well. Okay. Uh, now, it doesn't always get in that situation, especially as transition and stuff like that, I usually said, Hey, if you're a bottom person, get to the bottom. If you're on that side, stay there. Don't switch. We'll make it work. Um, however it is. And that, and that, if it turned out that way, I was able to trap a little more with those two on the same side. Mm-hmm. Um, if the ball got in the corner, we got something on the wing where we could trap it. Uh, my other top person may not have been the most athletic um, may not have been the biggest, but she's usually the hardest working one. She'd scramble. She'd run all over the place. Um, just cause a little bit of chaos. Um, she had more freedom of kind of, I mean, getting out of place and maybe going too far over at one point. And we may lose a bucket or two because of her aggressiveness. Mm-hmm. Um, the other bottom person is kind of a reader. Um, she did a, um, usually I try to get them to be more of, they're helping on the post a little bit more depending on where the post player is, but, uh, is athletic enough to be able to jump passing lanes, but sometimes isn't always the most athletic one mm-hmm. uh, on the floor. I know that kind of sounds contradicting, but, yeah. um, she may not but, be but the you, most you can, athletic. You can be intellectually athletic. You know, like Larry yeah. Bird, I'm, I'm reading this, and yeah, I'm not the fleetest of foot, but I'm thinking one or two passes ahead. Right, yep. right. So she was kind of in that phase there. Mm-hmm. Uh, my middle person, all, depending on the scout, had a different role each game. Um, some games it could be where if we're really pressuring the guards – Jumping passing lanes more, she's going to have the high post and she's going to work the triangle pretty much from mm-hmm. or elbow to block. I mean, she could be doing that. If if we're guarding the high post with our guards 
and they have a baseline runner or another post, if they're working a high-low look, she could be working that spot there. So she has to be somewhat physical um, to be able to keep somebody off the block, but also athletic enough to be able to move um, freely within the lane and finding ways to get rebounds, boxing out, and then being strong enough to outlet it and go to the next, to the, one of the guards. Gotcha. Gotcha. What? Uh, how did you break it down in the sense of what drills did you use to teach it? Did you use some small-sided games? Um, you know, how do, how do you how did you get your kids to to rotate so well out of it uh, and and not get caught behind as much on the you know the swing swing uh, getting that one more there and, and getting a, a good look right. Um, I did a lot of half, like split the court in half where it'd be a top and a bottom and the ball be opposite. And we'd work on just moving if the ball got reversed quickly. So like I'd be on one side and then we just have a wing and someone on the baseline or something. And we'd, I'd like drive, kick, rotate it. And then just like, I mean, a lot, a lot of people in their man defense, they either force middle or they say no baseline, no middle. Mm-hmm. Even in my zone, I said no baseline. So I just worked on that where we'd get it, and if we wouldn't let them drive baseline. Mm-hmm. No matter what, we'd force them back to the center um, to where we'd have the guard help and rotate. Uh, the big thing was is always make – I mean, communication, as we all know as coaches, is communication is key, mm-hmm. always. Um, and I always said, no matter what, guards, you have to sprint to that wing to push that p- bottom person down so she can get down to the block. And you've got to communicate that. Mm-hmm. Um, if there's no communication there, you're going to get beat baseline, and then your middle has to help rotate, and that leaves just a drop-off pass to the post in the lane. Mm-hmm. So I did a lot of that. Um, I did uh, – at times when I was just working on my guards up top, just pressuring it, we'd work on just getting, forcing the ball one way or the other. I mean, just a little zigzag drill almost. Mm-hmm. Force side that we wanted to keep it on, depending on who brought the ball up the floor. If it was their best player, we'd say, hey, we want her to, we want to cut her off and keep her on one side of the floor as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so we did a lot of that. Uh, did a lot of just, uh, I mean, the, the old circle rebounding, but would be more just scrambling to get to your spot. Okay. Get them in the lane, and they're circling, and I'd throw, I'd throw it out from underneath the hoop, and they'd have to sprint to their wherever they were playing and cover those gaps. Gotcha. Um, go from there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, but, so you'd have you'd have five kids on offense. Five kids on offense, and- just outside the lane or whatever and maybe yeah. a post on a block so four outside and then i'd be underneath the hoop the four five defensive players would just be going in a circle i'd yell ball and i'd throw it out to somebody on somebody and we'd have to sprint to close out and then also be in your gap principles kind of mm-hmm. or in lane passing lane so they could make the next quick pass to be able to get downhill or catch and shoot mm-hmm. gotcha i like that concept um, what were, as you, as you coach this, what was the one or two things, uh, regardless of what anybody ran at you, but what were the one or two things that you had to give up 
with this. Like, you know, in man-to-man, yeah, you get this and this and this and this, but you're going to give up this and this or the one, three, one or whatever. So, so what were the one or two things that you really tried to compensate for that you knew was a little bit of a chink in the armor? The, the, it, it changed a lot as the years went on, depending on my personnel. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I would say, I mean, when we made our run to the state tournament, uh, I gave up, I, I told them we'd give up, jump shots and threes mm-hmm. uh, i i just i was like all right we're gonna clog the middle we're gonna rebound we're gonna make sure we don't give them more than one look i mean or two looks max offensively and we'd give up the jump shot more than we would anything else mm-hmm. uh, and i think that was kind of the way we were most of the time just because we were so aggressive up top mm-hmm. uh, with the guards jumping, passing lanes, getting tips, going to go get the ball. And that was one thing I said, don't stand and be passive and just sit there like the old school two, three, where you're on two people are on elbows, two people are on blocks. We are aggressive. We're getting after it. You're going to get beat. Mm -hmm. And that's why you're going to get beat on a driver shot every few possessions, but the more aggressive we are, the more we're going to speed them up. So, I got to the point where I was like, if they're going to beat us, they're going to have to knock down X amount of threes this game. Mm-hmm. And that's well, probably the big thing that I gave up the most. And now there was times where we went up against a South Sioux City where they'd make eight or nine threes a game. And then you're like, what do you do? Yeah. And then the girls would get frustrated. I'm like, but that's what we were trying. I mean, we were trying to make them have to beat us with that way. Yeah. Uh, last question schematically what were actions that you felt like it was difficult to guard with your zone was it was it screening the middle uh was it was it ball screens and looking to penetrate off of gaps what was the the schematic things that uh as you were scouting or you were coaching the games uh those were the things that gave you the most troubles in your zone. Uh, the biggest problem was when somebody just ran short corner behind the backboard to short corner behind the backboard. Um, just because our, I had my bottom people up so high, um, and sometimes the guards would get a little too aggressive. If they hit that short corner and dove the high post, that was sometimes where we got lost a little bit more. Um, Coach Raggy at Elkhorn did it to us one year, and we—I mean, they hit—they they get dribble penetration kick, and then find somebody on the short corner, and they dive the high post, and we just did our rotations weren't quick enough that time um, in that game for sure. But um, that was probably where our biggest it hurt us most defensively when someone went short corner, short corner, like they weren't even trying to get that person to score; they just wanted to get a touch there where we'd mm-hmm. have to suck down into the ball where they'd have a high post or someone at the diving in, that was probably the most difficult to yeah. defend they, they just, get it, because they, we so, just because we were so aggressive out of the zone. Mm-hmm. They got it to that short corner and that got you out of position, which, which left you scrambling and they got you in the spin cycle, which led to a good shot, two or three passes down the line. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Awesome. 
Very good stuff, Casey. That, uh, you know, I know a lot of coaches, um, you know, each year we evaluate our teams, you know, just as well as I do, you know, uh, what, what are we good at? What do we need to tweak? What could we add that would fit this team? That type of thing. Uh, if you had any, uh, I, I lied. This is my last question. If you had any piece of advice for for a man to man coach that may be considering doing at least a little bit of zone or some zone or what type of thing, what advice would you give somebody who's trying to to make a, a pretty drastic jump, going from a lot of man to man to maybe considering at least running some zone? Um, I, I, you have to practice it i'd say at at max probably 10 to 12 minutes a day um just to keep those keep that in your mind a lot of my zone stuff still had man-to-man principles i mean force it we said no baseline i mean we're still pressuring the ball keeping the ball on the floor guard your man uh, when they have it um but then also uh like i said i gave you a couple drills i did but even just playing it in practice, just doing it and talking about the aggressiveness, you're going to get beat. You're going to do that, but you just got to continue to practice it. Even though it's something you may not do a lot, 10 minutes a day or three times a week is better than nothing Mm -hmm. because you've got to keep that in their head that, Hey, we may have to go to this if we can't guard somebody man to man. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if anybody wanted to reach out to you and talk a little zone and, and conversion to zone or zone breakdown drills, how would they get a hold of you? Um, they can email me at casey.hall1226 at gmail.com. Or they can reach out to me on, on Twitter. Awesome. Yep. And you'll be tagged on this. The, you know, people have seen your, your tag on there before, so they'll be able to hook you up. So. Case, this is uh, a, a different scenario, but it's always awesome to have you on the pod. And, uh, hey, happy Father's Day once again. Thank you. All Same right. to you. All right. Have a good one. You too.